Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art, but I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience, so I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm-to-table dining in Baltimore. At Foraged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see it's the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So, fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forge Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit ForgedEatery.com. Welcome to The Truth In His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the privilege, the distinct privilege. I mean, when, you, when, you, when you're able to go across the pond and have a conversation, it's, it's a privilege. I'm speaking with a London-based painter and writer on abstract painting and also a curator. Please welcome Charlie Peters. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Rob. It's lovely to be here. Lovely to have you here, um, and um, yeah, I think this is going to be fun and kind of a kind of long time coming. We both had, you know, some some stuff we were able to organize and make this happen. So I'm looking forward to chatting. Yeah, same. We've been trying to organize this for such a long time. I've been really looking forward to having a chat today. Absolutely, and I and I love that we have the. Um, this doesn't help anyone that's listening, but we love. I love that you have like your painting, your work in the background. I'm kind of marking out right now because there's so many like. We'll we'll talk about it. I, I just I just see it. I'm like, this is great. Um, but let, let's let's start off really really um, general speaking. Can you give me the um, the Charlie Peter story? What's what's the story? How did you get started in the arts? Tell me about tell me about that the um the like you getting started in the arts kind of like growing up and maybe that first experience with like arts whether it is consuming it whether it is like hey I used to doodle when I was in grade school tell me about that yeah I mean honestly if we go back to like the year zero I think if you asked me as a kid what I wanted to do when I was an adult it would be an artist if you asked me now what I wanted to do as an adult. It's still being an artist. I feel very lucky that I've had quite a straightforward route through life. I've always known exactly what I've wanted to do. As a kid, the thing I loved doing most of all was sitting in my bedroom drawing 
And, you know, the favourite things for me to draw as a kid would be, like a lot of kids, like dinosaurs, robots, spaceships, like explosions, lightning bolts, Um, which is pretty much, if you ask me to describe what I do now, it's probably not too far away from that, but with a little bit of kind of learned knowledge about abstract painting thrown in along the way. So I always describe my paintings as abstraction for people that watch too much TV. And that kind of sums up, like, most of my visual experiences through life as a kid I spent a lot of time by myself I was quite uh quite very shy kid like I didn't really know how to talk to or relate to anyone till I was about 25 like I'm not even kidding Uh, which is weird because now I never shut up but uh, I think I've just held quite a lot of that chat back until later in life Mm -hmm. um and so yeah I was very introspective very quiet love nothing more than just being left alone in my room drawing painting being creative making weird little bits of shit out of paper <laughs> that probably nobody else would ever look at or be interested in but for me it was my whole world and yeah. I think that's the beauty of creativity in a way is that it gives you the opportunity to make your own worlds and put them out there to share with other people it's a really good way of communicating with others and also talking about who you are in a kind of expanded context I think Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. And I, I, there's, there's some similarities. It's, it's interesting when I speak with someone and, you know, people assume like, Oh, your podcast is all you do is just talk. And I was like, no, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm still like, I'm 37. I'm still very shy and like I'm six, four. So it's hard for me to hide when I'm out. So I'm like, is there like a bus I can hide behind so I can avoid this social interaction that I'm not comfortable with right now? Yeah, isn't that funny that I think a lot of creative people are like that. We, I think we present as being quite gregarious because we have to like kind of put ourselves out there and share such a lot about what we do every day. But I think inherently a lot of us are kind of introverts and are much more comfortable being left in our own spaces. You know, it's, um, I, this is ridiculous, a bit of an aside, it's a bit ridiculous. Like I tried to learn to play the piano about like five years ago because it's like I've always wanted to do it. And I loved like practicing in, in my bedroom at home and I'd be the best pianist. Oh my God, the best be- bedroom musician ever. It was like fucking Beethoven coming out of my keyboard. But as soon as I went into a lesson, I couldn't play a thing because there was someone else in the room. And it was, it just made me realize that there's such a difference between different types of creative forms. And some people are much more overtly performative and sort of, you know, I would say extroverted and able to turn that on. And some of us, you know, we need to do it in our own time when we're ready. So we need to schedule a podcast to talk to people, or we need to make a painting and show it to people when we're ready for people to see it. Um, And I think, yeah, definitely, I would, I'm definitely on the introvert spectrum, although I think a lot of people would be quite surprised to hear me say that Mm -hmm. because they're used to hearing me talk quite a lot. And I'm quite, I suppose I've got quite a lot of energy and I'm quite chatty, but I'm also equally happy just being left alone to be quiet in my (laughs) studio. Yeah. Um, I've done, and this, this isn't an aside, but in the same vein, we're just free jazzing it right now. We're just having a chat. And it's interesting because I I run into this thing where I'm doing these, uh, I'm trying to stretch outside of purely doing podcasts. I had this, 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 um, I guess the way of describing it yesterday, speaking with, um, a creative director and, you know, people talk about stay in your lane. So it's like, oh, you just do this. I was like, no, my lane is very wide. It's, it's multiple lanes. I don't have one lane. And, you know, this is wide enough to fit me in it. You know, is the way I kind of put it. And 
I started doing like movie screenings and, and post movie talks and so on. And that performative, that performance uh, piece you mentioned, I have to be more cognizant of it because it's like, I can do this. And when we were uh, isolated COVID and all, I didn't feel like I missed anyone because I was always able to just hop on here and talk to people. But in, in doing the movie kind of screenings, it's a public thing and I'm presenting it to a group of people. So it's like a screening followed by a talk and it's more of a curated conversation around um, subject matter with someone from the local art scene, but subject matter related to the movie. So there's, there's something baked in it that it works. Right. But it's still like, you're not like emoting in a way or presenting in a way that's very audience oriented. It's kind of like, you're just having a podcast, but with people around. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I think being able to like control that for people that are a bit more introspective is really important. But I think that's why doing things like podcasts, like what you do is really good because in a way you're encouraging people that might otherwise not be sharing what they do to share it with a wider audience. And I think that's really valuable. It's part of, I think we were just talking about this before we came on air. It's kind of like an artist's responsibility, I think, in terms of like social engagement is to be able to share what we do every day. We're in a privileged position, those of us that go through life being able to have a job that we love. Yeah. And being able to share that with others is really important to me, definitely. Absolutely. 100%. So I want to touch back on, um, you know, that 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 piece you, you mentioned about growing up and just kind of enjoying drawing and being in your room and that. So like the so talk about, if you will, like how that maybe family influence kind of like helped you early on in your art career, like even in the nascent stages of kind of developing it. And like is are you fostering kind of a similar environment within the scene that you're in as an adult with maybe other artists who are early on in their career of, Hey, here's the nudge or, Hey, have you checked this out? Or, Hey, have you gone to this gallery? Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, going back to the family thing, I think that's probably quite interesting because although my my family aren't creative people at all. And as I think it's maybe the case for quite a lot of artists, if you, if you ask them what their parents wanted them to do, being an artist is definitely not up there. You know, people generally think people's parents want you to be a surgeon or a lawyer or like a proper job. Um, And although I think maybe my, my mom is quite a creative person. She's not, not in an educated way, you know, it's like she would do sewing and stuff. But I can see how, although there wasn't much support for me having a career as an artist, my family setup as a kid completely contributed to, I suppose, my love of just being alone drawing. So my my mum left home when I was about seven and I was already kind of destroyed by shyness at that point. And I went completely even further into myself and couldn't really connect with anybody else. And so the things that gave me pleasure as a kid were reading books, looking at pictures, you know, loved watching cartoons. And I've, I've mentioned this before. I think I was quite a kind of fantastically minded kid. I wasn't particularly in touch with reality for quite a lot of my childhood. And I thought cartoons were real for a really long time. Like I thought there were there was a there was two different worlds that we could live in. There was the one where the people looked a bit like you and me, mm-hmm. and then the one where everyone had like black outlines and looked much cooler. And I always wanted to be in that world. And I can remember someone telling me, and it might have been a pair a parent trying to round and ground me in reality like they do and basically ruin your fun when I was about eight or nine. And they're like, well, that's not real. What's wrong with you? You know, and I remember being absolutely mortified when I found out. It's like, oh my God, I can never be 
the black outline person that I used to be. Um, but I can see that I was just so consumed by that world because I spent a lot of time by myself and I was probably quite lonely and upset at the fact that my mum wasn't there, right. that it's completely informed the, the person that I became, you know, it's how I spent all my time and it's where all my fun came from as these kind of invented magical spaces that I would watch on TV. And then later, like in video games, again, like sort of those fantastical worlds that are almost better than your real life. I love it. I love it. So I, see, so I can see that, like, although there wasn't, like, a helping hand from my family to make mm-hmm. me a great artist, the way my life was set up and the thing, the way that things transpired definitely informed mm-hmm. how I probably had no choice other than to carry on being in a room by myself making weird things. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, I, I think going back, we didn't, we, you know, as a kid, we didn't have a lot of money or what have you, but we, we never got this idea that we were broke. You know, that, that was a really good thing for my parents or what have you. And for me, it was um, like I had an uncle that I had never met. He passed before I was born and he was like a, an artist. He was like, you know, did, did a lot of commercial work, but he was a painter. And it was just like, you know, my parents, my, my relatives were like, oh, yeah, you're going to kind of pick this up. You got an uncle. And I was like, I never met him. So how do you? And I was just drawing like X-Men and things of that nature. I would rush through a test just to draw and you know, I would get into a little trouble because people didn't get it. And, you know, teachers are like, oh, he's not doing the test. I was like, no, I'm doing it. I'm just doing it very quickly and taking my B, whereas I probably should get an A, but I didn't care. And I just remember, uh, you know, my parents either buying me like just just the tools, the color pencils, the paint, just different things as a kid to try to help with that. But also it's like, we would like for you to be in your room. So if you could just hang out in your room, it was like a back way of doing it. Like, here's the here's the carrot, the art carrot in your room. Go get it. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. I mean, it sounds quite similar, doesn't it? It's like different circumstances, but a similar kind of vibe. And I think maybe that's where a lot of like creativity comes from. Just people having the time with themselves. Because I think that's really important. And it's what a lot of people don't have time for in contemporary life. You know, it's, mm-hmm. we live such busy lives now that actually having that time out to just be with yourself and to see what comes out is really important. And again, artists that have like spaces where they can come to work and just have that quiet time. I think it's really valuable. Yeah. I think like there is a, a practice that I do and I want to, want to ask you about your process in a bit. Um, But there's a practice that I do that kind of just gets the gunk out. Like sometimes I get a little, just in my own head about questions that I'm coming up with because I try to have unique questions. I try to do that deep dive. It might be a little online stalking of a person just to come up with, hey, you're not going to remember this. You wrote this in this interview or you did this piece. And I, I find sometimes when I feel like I'm either recycling the same questions or that I don't really have anything, I take, I take a walk. I just kind of do that reset and I just, cause I'm always observing things and I'm able to put on like some really obnoxious headphones and no one's going to bother me cause they'll see them. And, and then I can like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I should come up with this. And often I'm listening to audiobooks about like art or about like human behavior to kind of get like more close to bedrock, not asking like that surface level. So tell me about your work, but really What's the thinking that goes into your work? What is embedded in that work that people often miss? What's the what's the threads that bring the work together? That that's the thing that really interests me. And I think 
realizing that you you walk everywhere because it helps you come up with ideas. It helps you think. It helps you get some of that gunk out of there because, you know, going back to it, it during, during the beginning of, like, the, the pandemic and for the better part of a year, I was kind of just in my own juices. So you're not able to connect with other people to overhear conversations and maybe get reference points that could lead to a different way of thinking or a different way of approaching a podcast or questions, what have you. Yeah, I mean, I completely can relate to that going for a walk thing. I mean, I live I live in London, so it's not like I can go for a nice quiet walk in the country. So I, when I do go for a walk, it, it's a fairly stimulating experience. There's generally noise, smells, lights, stuff everywhere. But actually, I, I like that. You know, I like there to be a lot of stuff going on. For me, going for a walk is the same. Like I, if I sit in my studio or at home or wherever I am trying to think of an idea, mm-hmm. nothing comes. I have to go out and not think. And it's really hard to do that when you're in a workspace. So I, I I do the same. I go for a walk. And what I do is I carry around a pack of post-it notes and I almost do like sort of automatic drawing or writing as I'm walking and a thing comes into my head. Then I'll just draw a squiggle or a shape or something. And then it, I can make sense of that later. Yeah. But it's, this, it's the same. That's the kind of head gunk thing. And I think for me, head gunk is logical thought. It's trying to be creative. It's trying to think of an of an answer or a solution to a problem. The problem being a, a project or a painting or, you know, a, a podcast question or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think if I try to be clever and intelligent and creative, it's rubbish. I can't do it. I have to not try. And yeah. it's really hard to learn that as an adult, I think particularly maybe when you've been to art school and you're sort of, you know, you're trained in a particular way. But for me, the biggest lesson in being creative is to not try to be creative. It's just to empty your head. It's what Agnes Martin said about turning your back to the world and just letting stuff come in. Mm. It's kind kind of meditative, but it's meditation for people with ADHD, you know, that actually can't meditate like me. You know, it's like, it's just the best way to clear my head is to go out into a really noisy bit of London and somehow other stuff comes in that's cool. Mm -hmm. I, um, I'll get on the, uh, the treadmill, which I hate because I do like the highest incline. I was like, all right, fat guy, let's make it happen. And as I'm sweating, I'm, uh, I find that I'm pulling out the phone. Like usually I try to keep something analog. I'll keep a notepad with me or something. And uh, if I'm walking, but something like that is like, I'm listening to this. I need this right now. It's the only way I'm going to make it through this, this task of basically hiking. And, uh, but I'll pull out the notes and I have that note app like preloaded because I know that it's stimulating it. The treadmill is stimulating these ideas and the nature of what I'm listening to. Maybe it's Austin Kleon's book um, or, or the three books that have them together or something like super old. Like, let me listen to something from Dale Carnegie. We're going like 1920s, 1930s. And it's like, all right, because we lose stuff over time. We lose how we go about things. So it's going to jog something. And I think I incorporate that in my process. Hell, I wrote a grant recently, I wrote, wrote for a grant recently, and they were like, so what do, what do you want to use this for? And I had Audible in there because it's that much part of my process now. <laughs> so, 
so 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 with it, I want to talk about process a little bit, um, like in in the most general terms. Like, could you describe like the process of like starting a new new project or what have you? But in terms of what is like one of the first things you're doing? What is something that's like in the middle? And you know, I, I know this thing about painters; it's uh, they're not really done. They kind of just stop painting. They're kind of like, eh, I'm not gonna paint anymore. So so tell me about something that's you know informative towards like the end that you're like, okay, I think I'm good. I think I'm good with this one. All right, one more brushstroke. I think I'm good. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think for me, it's perhaps into a bit of what we were just saying, like to begin with, I, I can't start with an idea. I never in the studio anyway, it's quite it's a little bit different when I do sort of like public facing artworks where people need to see a proposal before they give me the money. But like if we just talk about what I do in the studio where I can pretty much please myself. I generally can't start with an idea of what a painting is going to look like. So I don't, it's not like, oh, I'm trying to do a painting about this or, oh, I'm going to have these motifs or these shapes or whatever in it. I just have to start by putting colour on a canvas and all my paintings start just with a layer of colour. And I think in terms of colour temperature, usually, so is it going to be hot or cold or is it going to be like kind of moody and dark or bright and poppy? And then that will then sort of set a tone or a sensibility for what the rest of the painting is going to be, which I then respond to. So for me to start anything or to kind of move paintings on, it's much more like a kind of action reaction process rather than a kind of cognitive thought. And then I do something, if that makes sense. So I always start with colour. And then generally the middle bit of a painting is, I would say, absolute chaos, stress, not knowing what the hell I'm doing, changing things as I go as well. A lot of my, Although my paintings look quite precise when they're finished, actually there's a lot of decision making that happens in real time and there's a lot of things that I change as I go through. So you can see on the surface of the painting where I've painted over things. They're not as kind of slick and graphic as you might think they are when you just see them on screen. They're definitely physical things and for me like the end of the painting it's almost like a massive relief because generally when I don't know what I'm doing and where it's going there's a lot of stress related to that although it's a kind of stress that I'm clearly addicted to because I keep doing it (laughs) um and it's almost like a kind of sense of physical relief when I stand back from a painting and I think oh actually it's nicely balanced it feels like there's nothing else I need to do. There's the right amount of stuff going on in the right bits of the canvas. Mm. It almost feels like a kind of physical thing where it's almost like I can just breathe out for the first time. Because during those moments of like indecision and chaos and uncertainty while I'm painting, it feels like I'm holding my breath the whole time. Yeah. There's a tension there. And it's quite like, oh, my God, I can't really sleep properly until it's done. But then when it is done, it's like, oh, thank God, you know, like that makes sense now. It's kind of like organizing chaos from beginning, middle to end. I, I love it. And I was hearing intuition in there of like, yeah, I'm, I'm making changes during the course. Um, w- this is going to sound ridiculous. I think you named my autobiography in there early in the earlier bit. And you said moody and dark. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm moody and dark. I can make that happen. You know, people tell me how cheerful and, and bright I am. I was like, I don't know, I'm moody and dark. Um, <laughs> But also the there is an element of work and stress that that stuff that comes off the shoulders. Um, so I'm wearing my Apple Watch right now. That is not a plug, but I'm wearing my Apple Watch right now, and I'll look at the number of calories I've burned before a podcast, and then over the course of it, I'll look at what I burned during the podcast, and I'm literally just sitting here, sitting here having a conversation. Sometimes I'll burn 200 calories during like a 30 minute interview. And I'm like, is that a thing? Am I really putting out this much energy and exertion for 
and I mean, there is some gesticulating, but really there's not a lot of movement that happens here. So it may be just that stress that just has me going of wanting to do well, wanting to ask questions and and maybe laughing because sometimes you you artist types say things that are hilarious. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting to me of that, that tension that's baked in when you're going through it because I I, um, I have another interview later today and the, the guest was like, I'm super nervous. And I was like, oh, I am too. You know, I always tell her, I was like, I'm nervous about any one of these things because, you know, often I don't meet anyone before doing these interviews. So there's a fair amount of, I don't know what we're going to get out of this, like that chaos that you described somewhere in the middle. And sometimes like people, you know, show that they're nervous in a way that shows me or gives me uh, this this sense that, oh, you don't like me. <laughs> so it's but then other people are like, oh, you, you're great. This is fun. This is amazing. But I don't know usually until the very end. Yeah. But I think that's that's part of the creative process, though, isn't it? Being able to kind of like read the room. And by that, I mean, like what you do is like reading like a relationship between the two of us and how we're relating and how we're talking. But for me, like reading is looking at canvas and understanding what's on it and what needs to change and what can come next. And the problem is with all these situations, there's infinite variables, which can be quite stressful because uncertainty breeds anxiety, I think. Yes. Um, but it's also maybe that's the the little bit that's addictive and that keeps us going. Maybe that's where like the dopamine's from, you know, the excitement of, although I don't know what it is I'm doing, I'm completely in control. And actually, once you realize you can do exactly what you want and no one's going to tell you otherwise, that's great, right? Yes, absolutely. 100%. Uh, so I got one last real question. And then I got those great, great rapid fire questions that everyone loves, even if they say otherwise, everyone loves them. Uh, so when, when you're making work, whether it's something that's more commission oriented or something that is for like that's that's for you, ultimately, that you're like, I'm doing this. I make the rules here. What, what sort of considerations are, are being made there? Are you considering the viewer in any way? Are you considering like. Well, obviously, I would imagine you're considering maybe the time that goes into it. But what are some of the considerations that you're making and, and what role do they play in the process? Yeah, so for work that's like commissioned and you're getting paid up front to do something, which might be a work on canvas that a collector wants, or it might be like a, a, a mural or something that's more like a kind of public artwork, then mm -hmm. I, I would say I do consider or try to consider how an audience might respond to it because I think there's a sense of responsibility there that you're getting paid to do something that's for somebody else and you know although I would be commissioned because people know what my work looks like and mm -hmm. I would think that I have some freedom within that those projects are very different to where I'm just making paintings in the studio for a show and generally I don't consider what anyone else is thinking I just make those and work it out as I go um so there's two different types of working that I think I I have to do. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure, even though I'm thinking about how an audience might relate to it, how much that kind of really changes what I would do as well. I think we have a lot of kind of license within the work that we make, even within it's in a sort of public sphere. Yeah. And a lot of it can be post-rationalised which I don't think is cheating. I think that's okay. Cause I think generally we don't know what we're doing until we've done it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Cause uh, when I'm doing this and I'm putting it out and you know, you, you, I think with social media, people could just tell me, Oh, I, I didn't like that as much or now I have questions and so on. 
And at times I just try to disable the comments because I'm not doing it for that purpose. I'm just doing it because I think the the conversation is interesting and maybe someone can take something out of it or, and and also, you know, self-serving is for me. It's like, Hey, you know, I want to talk to to Charlie Peters. Let's let's have a conversation, you know? And I I think I get something out of that because I steal from you all the time. I steal from you creative types to make me a better, a better creative. Um, but I, I, I don't do it for that purpose. I do it for the, the love of the, the conversation and the love of kind of like diving into process oriented things and understanding what what artists are thinking about, understanding what interesting people are thinking about. But if I went through and said, all right, you know, because I do some commission work as well for mm-hmm. uh, clients and that is a much different situation. And I definitely relate it to, um, you know, you're hiring me for a reason. You can hire anyone you know, to, to do this conversation. Like it's either something about the way that I approach it or something about me as a personality, you know, my work ultimately that you want to have your brand associated with your business associated with. So otherwise, why would you do it? So it's like, where is that, that line? Where does, how far does that go of what the client wants, at least, at least from my perspective, what the client wants, what they're looking for versus why they want it from me? Yeah. And you know what? I also think it's, it's, you never can control how people are going to perceive your work or understand it or respond to it because so much about how we all read what we see comes from us. It's not even about the object that we're looking at. You know, we're all informed by our own life experiences, our own anxieties, our own weird little personality quirks. And I don't know everybody that's going to see a piece of work that I make. And I wouldn't want to second guess how they're going to interpret it either. And in a way, I think that's not my responsibility. I can have a kind of general sense of duty of care for making a piece of work that's good and that adds kind of some cultural value to the world, to the environment in which it's seen. But I can't control how people see it, whether they like it, whether they're offended by it, whether they read it in a way that I didn't intend them to, or whether they get an idea that I might have had. And generally, actually, I don't work with ideas. So maybe with what I do, it's a bit it's a bit more simple. I'm not a conceptual artist. I make stuff that is generally, it's a visual experience or it's like a sensory experience. It's not something that necessarily has clever ideas in it. Um, But I think if you're too led by what your audience might be wanting or expecting, I don't know, I think that's a bit of a kind of weird sort of little wormhole that you go into and it's really hard to get out of and actually even make anything after that. You can't control what people think. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so we're at this point. I think it's a good point for us to stop and, and get into some um, some rapid fire questions. Uh, and because I, I have to I'm, I, again, I, I think I may incorporate this in as a soundbite telling people, no, don't overthink them. Don't never overthink them. It's they're, they're, go- they're goofy questions. They're, they're fine. Um, and, you know, whatever pops in your head, the first thing that pops in your head. So I got a, I think I got five of them for you. What is your favorite color to work with? Oh, gosh, that's I like cold colors. Um, so I think I would say a kind like somewhere between the blue green spectrum, probably uh, erring more on the green, like a teal or a turquoise. The the, the uh, painting behind you, that's that's what's popping from because I see all like sides of it. And I'm, I, I, I like I feel like it's and I know nothing about color theory. I feel like it's right there in the middle and thus I'm wearing like. People will say it's Burgundy. I'm wearing ox blood because, you know, royalty and the, the enemies I have and all of that stuff. Um, so thank you. Uh, 
you, you mentioned um, cartoons earlier. Hmm. Um, that may be a cartoon related question, just so you know. But what are you currently watching? What, what shows are you currently watching? Oh, God, on TV. Uh, it's not a cartoon. Um, so I'm about like six years later than everybody else. I'm working my way through Breaking Bad. So that's what I'm watching at the moment. And also, um, I don't know, I must have dared not say this out loud. Uh, I love Below Deck. I'm watching that. And my favourite like lockdown programme, I watched almost every season of Law & Order SVU. That's probably my all-time favourite TV show ever. Have you uh, have you started Organised Crime yet? I don't know if they have that over there in uh, across the pond, but there's um, kind of like a spinoff uh, called Organised Crime where Stabler is like the lead. And uh, there is some like crossover between that and SVU and this other spinoff that uh, was called Law and Order Hate Crimes. And it's I was like, all of these are just coming together. It's 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 definitely bingeable television. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, this is not even an arc. This is criminal of the week. This is great. I know, but why? I think a lot of creative people like kind of dark psychological stuff or crime, you know, or crime fiction. And I don't know what that is, whether it's something to do with like problem solving or whether because we spend a lot of time in our own heads. We love all that kind of forensic sort of stuff. I don't know. But I loved it. And I watched like all 15 seasons of Criminal Minds as well over lockdown. <laughs> I was like a, a proper, you know, American TV crime thriller geek i'm here for it i i want there to be an opening because some of the openings in svu were really funny and really kind of bad and cringy i want it to be just podcast related it's like yeah man i'm doing this in the podcast studio and then hey is that is that a ruthie oh my gosh and then suddenly it's just i'm found dead i don't, I don't know i just want it to be <laughs> something that has the setup of a podcast and all the corny stuff is in it it's like looks like he was strangled with his own microphone cable i don't know <laughs> There must have been a podcast episode. I can't think of it though, and I've seen them all. Yes, I, I'm sure there was. I mean, <laughs> and there was a, a running bit that my my partner and I do. Um, if you watch enough like '80s or even like TV shows that have like a black um, kind of lead, like detective or black like sergeant, there's always a certain temperament. So the guy that's in the later seasons of SVU, we just send that picture to each other back and forth whenever we're having a bad day. <laughs> And it's the look of, I don't give a shit. That's literally <laughs> what it is. Brilliant. Uh, so this is actually the cartoon-related question. Oh, okay. Which cartoon character do you relate to most? Oh, God. Oh, no, and that's really hard, isn't it? Um, I'm just <laughs> trying to think. I'm just trying to think what that would be. You know, like maybe um, She-Ra. Okay, okay. I mean, and it's in it. They did the uh, the reboot of that too on Netflix, I believe. So yeah, it's yeah. timely. You know, some same color hair. It works. It works. Exactly. It's the best thing I can think of off the top of my head. I'm Skeletor. Just you know, just breaking mirrors, walking through them. Classic Skeletor, not current Skeletor. He's a little too buff. I you know. Yeah. I'm I like old school Skeletor better as well. Much yeah. cooler. I'm dad bod Skeletor. That's that's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> um. So literature. Uh, what is your favorite? Art-related book and your favorite non-art-related book? Oh, God. I don't read much art-related stuff, I have okay. to say. Um, uh, and I don't read fiction either. I find fiction really hard to read, really hard to relate to. So I'm a real, I'm a real sort of like non-fiction reader. Sure. Um, hmm. But art books, I'm just trying to think what I would have read th- uh, that I really liked. Um 
I mean, I have a, I have a PhD in fine art, so I should be able to rattle off about a million artworks. Of course, I can't think of any. There's a really good book called The Infinite Line by Bryony Fair that I really like, and that's um, that is where she writes. Uh, she writes a lot about Ava Hesse and also Agnes Martin, and she writes in that book about repetition and and minimalism. I really like that. And there's also um, a book called Pictures of Nothing by Kurt Vonnegut, which I really enjoy as well. So, and that is similar. Like he's talking about kind of that period in particularly American, like post-war mm-hmm. art history from like uh, abstract abex through to like pop art and the relationship between all those different movements. So they're my two favourite books. And I have to say they're my favourite because they have lots of pictures in them. You know, like, <laughs> I, I, I hate an art book that's just writing. What's the point? Just show me the good stuff. So, yeah. So they're both really good books with cool pictures in. So I'd recommend both of those to anybody. They're great. And then like favourite non-art books. I mean, I read a lot of, I suppose, stuff about psychology. I just, I was telling you, I've just come back off holiday and the book I was reading on the beach this time last week is called The Wisdom of Psychopaths by Dr. Kevin Dutton. And that's really interesting. I read a lot of stuff about the way the mind works. Yeah. Um, and it's not as grim as it sounds. Basically, he's saying that there's a lot of psychopathic traits that are actually quite could be quite useful in controlled, moderated portions in terms of helping us deal with the complexities of everyday life. So things like being more fearless, being more resilient, being more kind of disconnected emotionally from things in the way that helps us to make better decisions. So I, I find books like that really interesting, books about how we think. Yeah, I need to find a way to get back to disconnecting emotionally because uh, I used to ride that wave a lot. And now it's just like, oh, I have feelings. Oh, get out of me. And I feel suck, don't they? What? What? Are the, what's the point? Yeah, I mean, I just want to be just an Aquarius that just doesn't have feelings. Just, I just need to be that again, just resting on those laurels. I see. I'm Cancerian. I'm never going to get away from the feelings. I'm You're like a Cancer. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, so this is the last one, and people. So in this this one, I may eventually uh, let me use let me use your your terms uh, relegate to. <laughs> I might eventually relegate this question, um, but I think it's a good one. Um, what was your last Google search? Oh yes, I'll tell you what it was. I was looking for on YouTube. I was looking for um, walkthroughs of Driver. Do you remember the old PlayStation game? I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing a show next year that might be vaguely car <laughs> slash video game driving kind of related. So yeah, before I popped online to chat to you, I was doing some searches, a little bit of kind of cursory research into Driver, that game. That's great. That's the most wholesome, uh, productive answer I've heard because uh, some people say, I can't say what I was looking up or because it it was like it was um, last Google search or was like, what was the last text you sent? And someone's like, that's even dirtier. I can't even talk about that one. No, come on, I'm at work today. I was being purely in the work zone. And it's, you know, in, in Britain, it's like four o'clock in the afternoon or something. We're, we're just getting ready for cups of tea and sandwiches here. There's nothing less oh. wholesome than that. Oh, we have, we have a, um, we, we have a, uh, a place, uh, it's called Tea Spot or what have you, Emma's Tea Spot. And, um, she, she, the owner is English, what have you, and just like, yeah, we're going to have a proper cup of tea. I was like, this is great. Tell me more. And I go there to have this, the tiny sandwiches and everything is great. Um, so with that being said, um, 
that's it. Um, I want to thank you for for being on the podcast and uh, coming through and indulging me in all of my questions. And um, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks, uh, the listeners, uh, where to check you out, your work, where to follow you out online, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours. Oh, okay, cool. So you can find out more about my work on my website, which is charliepeters.com. And I'm at charliepeters on Instagram. And I'm just dabbling my little toes in TikTok. And I'm at charliepeters studio there. So please follow me there because literally nobody else is. So there you have it, folks. Um, I want to, again, thank Charlie Peters for coming on to the podcast and spending a yarn, having a chat with me. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around your neck of the woods. You just have to look for it.